Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash Lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. Uh, this week, we'll be talking Olympics and USA versus Mexico and Italian food and varsity blues and the NCAA tournament and Beckham and Destin Pulisic and uh, the Champions League and American soccer media and World Cup qualifying and speed and so much more. But first, joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire mossy how hold on a second hold on a second we have a guest right from the top of the show the great Stuart holden you know him you love him well at least you know him uh he is joining us yet again on the state of the union Stu, my friend how are you thank you for joining us uh, yeah, i yeah i snuck in for the a block you know i i heard in television uh that the a block is like the big one that you got to capture the audience's attention last time you guys didn't let me in for a little while so i'm happy to be here oh from the first goodness. minute i'm this getting the start tonight stuff. uh you know you're gonna have to up your game here um we're, we're gonna have to up our game here mossy with uh, with Stuart holden on the uh, show here mossy how are you doing my friend I'm doing well. I mean, same guest twice in four weeks. Is this amateur hour? And, you know, uh, we got to go. We're back to the well. It's a very you know, uh, no, but very excited one. to have Stu on it. And and both of you rocking your USA gear. And so you uh, convinced me to throw on this Brazil jersey, which actually you gave me as a gift uh, very generously a few weeks back. So, yeah, we're all representing our countries. Maybe we can throw it to a vote out there for the uh, listeners of whose Olympic jacket is better. I think I know just because Alexis has aged over time that he's probably going to win here. This is 2008 versus what, 1964? Oh, nice. So I am I am sporting the 1992 official jacket of the team. You may remember it from uh, an athlete by the name of Michael Jordan sporting it. So much so that if you see the uh, – it was, a, it was actually a big talking point because if you look over here – where it says Reebok, which was the official sponsor of the Olympics. If you remember, Michael Jordan, obviously a Nike athlete, would drape the American flag over this side to cover up the Reebok uh, as the wars continued on. There was a big, big brouhaha about uh, if he was going to be able or want to go out in anything other than Nike. He went out, and his only concession was, uh, I get to put the American flag over the Reebok. So 
So I could completely derail this podcast and say that 2008 was LeBron James, and then we could go LeBron versus Jordan, and we just lose everything for the rest. It of would. It would the be podcast, for the next so. next hour. But speaking <laughs> of basketball, though, uh, NCAA tournament in full swing. My Rutgers Scarlet Knights uh, made it for the first time since 1991, went through in their first round, and then in true Rutgers, New Jersey fashion, uh, decided to uh, bow out uh, in, in, any, in, in less than glory, um, ultimately. So they're out of you know, the tournament. But is your Michigan team still in it? Mossy, uh, well, hold on. Lex, I, you're a very nice guy here, letting me off the hook there. You you smashed my Clemson Tigers out, and you missed an opportunity to drive the knife. I, I, I so, didn't want to Never mind, Mossy. Mossy, talk Michigan, please. <laughs> uh, no, uh, Lexi, you might recall I was very pessimistic yep. due to the injury to our star player, Isaiah Livers, entering the tournament. I said we'd be lucky to get to the Sweet 16, but we are, in fact, in the Sweet 16, had a nice win over LSU yesterday. I didn't get to watch it because I was covering the Olympic qualifying tournament, but I was following the score. I had buddies texting me throughout. Uh, so, yeah, very happy to see that. So we are still alive. And you have a uh, a, a former uh, Wolverine legend and a basketball legend at the helm right now, right? I can't remember his name. What was his name? Uh, Juwan Howard. He yes. was a uh, member of the Fab Five. In fact, I read somewhere that he's the first person ever to both play for and coach a number one seed in the NCAA tournament, which is wow. an incredible stat. Uh, so, yeah, Juwan Howard uh, doing great things. I mean, look, the, the tournament is a big thing in general, but I, I feel like... In a strange way, there was more attention on it, maybe because of the pandemic and everybody's kind of focused on 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 things. But yeah, I I so you don't think your team's winning it, do they? Is this guy with the ankle? Is he back, or is they're just doing it without him? You got that really small guy in your team too. At least like a uh, a uh, really small uh, pugnacious type of player, and he plays point guard. Like Alexi. that's the, that's the guy that brings the ball up the court. And you Correct. know, he, he's actually a transfer from Columbia, Ivy League guy who has slotted in very nicely in the Big Ten and uh, had a terrific season. Uh, actually, had a rough game yesterday, from what I read, but uh, we won regardless. Right. Okay. Uh, but to answer your previous question, uh, Isaiah Livers. Uh, unlikely to come back at any point uh, in this tournament. And so I continue to say that that probably ends our national championship hopes. I don't uh, think we could win it without him. It's okay. Well, at least you're still in the tournament, unlike Stu's team and my team, for that matter. Um, okay, what have you watched, Mossy? Anything interesting over the last week? Uh, not much because I've been buried in this uh, Olympic qualifying tournament. But I, I you're gonna be okay. You're you're all right. You're all right. Don't don't be whining. All right, out there. You you have a you have a wonderful wonderful job. We love what you do. We we appreciate what you do. Don't be whining. Did you have to have watched something though to take your mind off all of the soccer? Uh, I I was able to watch a few more episodes of this Money Heist. Oh this yeah, like show the Spanish one about the the bank robbery in Madrid. So is it uh, done? Yeah, is good. it is, are the episodes done? Are you getting to the end or is there? Uh, more? No, they've done four seasons of it. And I believe there is a fifth season yeah. on the way. There so so it's that cardinal sin. I, I binged something that wasn't completely finished. Stu, are you watching anything uh, or anything on your uh, palate over there? Um, I, I feel like I'm, I'm going to get roasted for this, but uh, I was convinced by friends and I have been getting poked for friends for years to watch The Office. And I needed to start with The <laughs> British Office. And so I binged uh, Ricky Gervais and the British office in about two days. Phenomenal. Right up my alley, having been born uh, in the UK and moving here. I thought it was excellent. And my wife at the end with a hot tag said that the American office is infinitely better than the British office. Ooh. And we started the American office last night and I'm two episodes in. I'm interested, though, if because the American office went for nine seasons and the British was only two, that the character development was so strong that that is why she 
feels so uh, nationalistic towards the American version, but uh, I thought the British version was excellent. Yeah, I, I have I have seen both. Welcome, by the way, to the, the Thank world you. of the I office. know, I'm way behind. You uh, should, curb your enthusiasms next. Yeah, you should really check out um, uh, a show called Friends, too. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I've seen both. Uh, I, it's hard. Which one's better? I don't know. I, I'm waiting for an Alexi hot take here. I thought you were going to be outraged that uh, at one of these. No, I mean... No, I'm. Oh, I'm. All, I'm here. I, I'm here for the office. I think it's a really, really okay. good show, and I think both of them are really, really good in in very different ways. It's one of those rare things where it was so popular, so good, and that they they took it and made it to some people, maybe to your wife, better, but certainly they lived up to the original. And uh, I, 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 st- I still say the original, but it's it's a lot more understated. The original. It's not as in your yeah. face. Um, but it's still it's still really good. I don't know. I it's don't excellent. Know. Excellent. I, I was like cringing in my seat at like, you know, many of the jokes that are just what, what so is the incredible. moment when you finally click on it? Is it just you've just come to the end of uh, and you're scraping the barrel, uh, the bottom of the barrel when it comes to stuff to watch and you did it or no? it's just one of those. It was like I knew when I was investing in the office, I had to sit down and it was going to be nine seasons worth. You know, like I wasn't just going to fly in and do an episode or two like I had to commit right. and I wasn't quite ready to commit to that length until I'd finished my other shows. I felt like I was cheating on them. So now I've like, I'm open to dating and I'm all in on the office and it, you know, it's going well so far. You we're, binged, we're pretty steady. You binge nine seasons. No, I did the two British ones oh. and I'm, I'm, I'm just starting the American. So you might not talk to me yeah, for a while. Right. Mossy. Have you watched either of these shows? Either versions of it? Uh, I have not watched the British office. I watched the American one. Uh, yeah. Now I, I do want to ask too, um, have you watched Seinfeld? <laughs> I, I have seen Seinfeld episodes. I've never watched it start to finish again. That's another one that I'm 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 behind on. Because Seinfeld versus Curb is very much a Jordan LeBron like debate that I have with my friends all the time. So I'd be curious to get your take on it if you if you want. Okay, so that's my lineup. I'm I'm set for the next year. Uh, hopefully, we don't have another pandemic. But I'm going to have uh, American Office, Curb, and then straight into Seinfeld. I think Curb is much better than Seinfeld. Um, I'm, I'm on that that side. Okay, let's see here. Are we done talking about shows? Should we uh, light this candle? Everybody ready? Crank it up. Thank you, Stu, by the way, for joining us from the start. That's, uh, that's very cool. If you're just tuning in, uh, Stuart Holden is with us today. Uh, legendary uh, player and legendary voice when it comes to the world of soccer over there. So he's going to dazzle us with all sorts of interesting and entertaining takes as we go through this today. All right, let's go. We are going to start out as we uh, as we always do, or as we have done in the pandemic, of jumping right in. And uh, the Olympic tournament rolls on. The U.S. Uh, doing what we expect of a U.S. team in a CONCACAF type of situation in that they have won their first two games of this uh, group stage, which puts them automatically, they've already qualified for that all-important game, that semifinal game that will decide if they win. Um, uh, it will, it will give them the opportunity to go to the Olympics uh, this summer. Has it been uh, a... Uh, a seminal type of moment where there's oohs and ahs? No, but we beat the likes of uh, Costa Rica and Dominican Republic. And Jason Kreiss and his team did, uh, did what we expect, but that leaves us now with the third game of the group, which is against our good friends Mexico coming up. In a strange type of moment here where it's U.S.-Mexico, and it doesn't matter whether it's U.S.-Mexico on the soccer field or on the uh, in, in uh, uh, in a uh, on a table playing cards or parcheesi or uh, dice or anything else. It's there's a rivalry, and it is elevated to another level. However, 
the most important game, as I just mentioned, is the semifinal game, and both of these teams are through. So this is for first place in the group that could determine who you ultimately, well, it's going to determine who you ultimately play in that semifinal. So the U.S. is faced with this big rivalry game where they don't want to put all of their eggs into this basket right now because they have a much bigger situation coming up in that semifinal game that they have already qualified for. Stu, uh, you uh, you worked this past week, and uh, you worked both of these uh, these U.S. games. Were you... Were you impressed by this team? Because we haven't seen this team. Um, and were you or were you underwhelmed by this team, especially in the context of what we're talking about almost daily right now, how great the U.S. men are and all this talent that we have out there? Were you underwhelmed by what you saw from Jason Kreiss's, uh under 23, actually under 24 Olympic team right now down in Guadalajara at this CONCACAF tournament? I would say I've been generally underwhelmed by, by this team and I think the the scoreline against Dominican Republic flattered to deceive. I think four zero and and playing a good half of a half. Uh, I'm not willing to say, wow, this team's been incredible. I would say a grade uh, as a six out of ten, and I'm grading on a curve a little bit because I do think we have to be fair to these players and the coaches, and that it's no small ask saying, okay, you haven't played a game in four months, throw together a team that's trained for two weeks. A number of these players hadn't really been in the pool, but had good years last year. And now they're a part of the group and then trying to piece all of that together and expect in the first minute, it's going to be good. And it wasn't good against Costa Rica. They struggled for large parts, but they found a way. And then they found a way against the Dominican Republic and Jason Christ recognized in the first half, not nearly good enough. Uh, according to Georgi Mihailovic, he gave him a spank on the butt, and apparently that really woke him up. In the second half, he made the right changes. They got the win, and you're looking pretty. And so you're six points going into a game against Mexico. And I agree with you, Alexi. It's a really fascinating game because in one hand, it's Mexico. We all know what Mexico means. Anybody that listens to this pod and that has followed U.S. soccer knows how big of a game this is. We don't need you to tell you uh, us to tell you that. Jason Christ has said it. Jaime Lozano has said it. And they're all saying the right things. Of course they are. You don't want to say to your team, hey, guys, look past. It's about the semifinal. But in saying that, I, I do think both, both coaches will make changes and be a little bit more cautious with their lineup. You're not going to see A lineups in this game. It's all about the semifinal. In the U.S., the last two cycles, they won and they waltzed through the group stage. It was full of confidence into the semifinal and then no Olympics based on that one game. And I don't think you'll see the team make that same mistake. Um, and then who do you play in Group B? I mean, I, Masi, I'm, I'm curious who you think. Who's, who's the standout team there? Nobody seems to want to run away with that group. You thought it was going to be Honduras and Canada, and then all of a sudden El Salvador get a late equalizer against Honduras the other night. And I don't see a team that, by the way, if the U.S. lost to, I'd say, well, that was a better team. No, the U.S. should be qualifying for this World Cup. No no ifs, ands, or buts. Uh, World Cup, I said Olympics, sorry. No, I still suspect it'll be either Canada or Honduras. If it's Canada, you have fond memories of a semifinal in this tournament against Canada back in 2008, 3-0. Freddie Adu with two goals. I know you and Mo Adu both played in that one. If it's uh, Honduras, though, the last edition of this tournament, Honduras beat the U.S. in the semis uh, 2-0. Albert Elise with a big game in that one. Um, So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, in terms of the U.S. team, I know Jason Kreiss has sort of bristled at the notion that there are starters and backups. But to me, there's no world in which he wouldn't have put out what he thought was his strongest team for the Costa Rica game. And there's no world in which he's not going to put out his strongest team for the semifinal. So I view the Dominican Republic and the Mexico games through the lens of, can anybody who didn't start the Costa Rica game do enough in those two matches to get themselves in the starting lineup for the semifinal? So where do you think we stand right now as far as that goes? Wow. Uh, 
as I said before, uh, Jason Christ's job is not to beat Mexico. Jason Christ's job is to qualify this team for the Olympics, something that has not been done since 2008. Anything that happens against Mexico, be it is, is formation, uh, be it the result, uh, be it uh, the decisions that he makes relative to players with red cards, or excuse me, with, with yellow cards, uh, Justin Glad um, and Jesus Ferreira, for example, uh, or players that need rest, has to be done with an eye to giving him the best chance of accomplishing that goal, which is qualifying uh, this team right now. I do think that he knows what his best 11 is, and I do think that he is going to make those changes. And in essence, it's a bad word, but sacrifice something against Mexico in order to be better against whoever it ends up being in that semifinal. You don't want to, um, you know, win the battle and lose the war when it comes to something like this. And so Jason Christ has to figure figure out what that ultimately is. And he's probably thinking about that right now. Yeah, Alexia, I think he had an idea of what his best 11 was. And I, and I don't think, and Masi, to your point, I think that was rolled out in game one, but I would say his messaging. And then also having been part of gold cup, you know, gold cups, Olympic qualifiers, et cetera, there's opportunities genuinely for guys to play themselves into those positions. And I, I think you phrase it nicely saying the game against Dominican and the game against Mexico, while it might not be, uh, you know, Ferreira and glad because they are on yellow cards, I think those two are locks for for that uh, semifinal. But by the way, if if Soto starts and he scores a hat trick, he he could get the shout, you know. And I, so I think Jason Christ in an ideal world said, "Okay, game one is here. Game two, this is my lineup. Game three, we'll see who where guys lie, and then we've got our lineup." But but I genuinely think there's a couple positions, especially in the middle of the park and in the wide areas, that he's not entirely sure who his best group is and who his most for, informed players are going to be for those games. And that, that's where his decisions genuinely do come. And guess what? Like Alexi said, like you said, you live and die by that all-important semifinal. I don't, I don't care if the U.S. beat Mexico and lose the semifinal. I won't care about the Mexico game. I'll care about the semifinal. But, but to your point, uh, Stu, they should qualify. And in, in now seeing the other group, and by the way, the, the soccer gods did us a favor by having Mexico in our group because that, that would have been a problem. Mexico is the best team in this, in this tournament. Um, I'm comfortable saying that. And then, it's the, and, then, and then it's the U.S. And so the fact that they don't have to face each other in that all-important semifinal game, uh, that's, a, that's a good thing. But I haven't seen a single team uh, over there in, the, in Group B that the U.S. would lose to. Now, they can conspire to do anything, so they certainly could lose to it, but the talent that they have should uh, send them through. And by the way, we were talking wait, about wait, this. Wait, let me see. What, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, let me see where you land on this, because going into this tournament, doing some of the prep, I, I was listening to some of, uh, you know, different takes around the world of American soccer. Mm-hmm. And, and I was hearing quite commonly that, well, if the U.S. don't qualify for the Olympics, it's not an indictment on the, the program and where this team is headed. And because we have our B team, right. our A guys aren't involved. And, you know, if we don't qualify, so what? We'll move on and people will get over it. Where, where do you sit here? Because I, I have a, a, a pretty strong no, opinion. I think here. it would be a failure. I think it would be a failure for the leadership in charge. So we're talking about Ernie Stewart. We're talking about Brian McBride. Uh, we're talking about Greg Berhalter. And we're talking about Jason Christ. I think it would be a failure to not do it given the amount of talent that we have. We haven't been able to do it since 2008. And I think it's just too easy to sweep it under the the carpet and say, oh, it's, it's okay. In the same way that I, I don't want people to look past 
the 22 World Cup and just look to 2026. No, this is what is at stake here. This is an international tournament. There is prestige associated. Hey, if, if Mexico is our biggest rival, then just look to Mexico and how they view the Olympics and how they have used the Olympics. Look back in, in 2012 uh, and what they did. So I... I, I recognize what will happen if they don't qualify. They'll say, oh, we got all these players and, and stuff like that. But I think that's a cop-out. And uh, I think that it, it should be viewed as a failure, not the likes of which uh, we've seen in 2017, not qualifying for 2018. But absolutely, it is a failure, given the talent that they have. And now having seen these players play and these teams play, they should be one of the top two teams coming out of this uh, tournament. Yes, and, and I think it speaks to how the U.S. pool has grown as well. And you're looking at the teams and you're evaluating the talent in the other teams and you're saying, okay, well, our B team actually should beat Honduras, should beat uh, Canada, should beat El Salvador. And, and so I say to that, don't let anybody tell you this, this tournament doesn't matter. Uh, you and I have both played in the Olympics, Alexi, and uh, it is as much about going to an international tournament, experiencing that, playing against the best under 23 players available globally. Uh, it's about strengthening this pool, not just for the U23, but the senior team level. Look, these guys uh, realistically should be then competing to be a part of that A group, right? You're not going to have Pulisic, uh Adams, McKenney, Reyna, potentially, right? Some of those guys might, but for, for the most part, you're not going to get the, the top 1% of the American pool. But as you look forward to 2022, you need these guys having been a part of that, you know, playing on the international stage, uh, playing in front of scouts, potentially getting moves to Europe, potentially finding better club fits. And I just think it is incredibly important for U.S. soccer, the men's team, for the momentum of this pool, et cetera. And if we don't qualify, um, I will be incredibly disappointed. And uh, I do think it will be another indictment on this program. And it, it'll set back some of that really positive momentum going right now. Uh, Malsi, you got something to say. I can see it. I can see it in your eyes, my friend. Well, Burning. Just to his point, the Olympics this year, it's an incredible field. You have Brazil, Argentina, France, Germany, Spain. So if the U.S. qualifies, they, they would get some great competition there. That being said, the Gold Cup is occurring right before the start of the World Cup qualifying octagonal. And there is a school of thought that uh, giving Greg Berhalter a month to work with the U.S.'s best players leading into World Cup qualifying would be incredibly beneficial. Uh, it does seem like the wind is blowing towards the U.S. prioritizing more the Olympics this summer if they qualify. Where do you stand on that, Stu? Uh, in a hypothetical world in which the U.S. could get whatever players they wanted released from European clubs, if the U.S. is playing in the Olympics and the Gold Cup this summer, uh, would you give Jason Christ the best players or Greg Berhalter? Well, if, uh, if you want to watch us live on Fox Sports all summer, we will have the Gold Cup. Um, and look, the Gold Cup we see every couple of years. Um, and for the United States, uh, they are the one of the top two teams in that tournament, quite often reach the final. I, I do think the Olympics is something special. And uh, because of the circumstance, because of the difference in competition and playing against European, South American uh, teams from Asia, I would prioritize taking my guys, if available, to the Olympics for this summer. And that's because then you have the Gold Cup. It's a great problem to have, by the way, for Greg Berhalter. I know, you, you know you're plugging and putting different players in different places and each team might not be as strong as you'd like. But ultimately, if I'm a national team coach, you don't get that many opportunities with your players and more, normally they're friendlies. So if you're saying to me, hey, you have a logjam of competitive games this summer, get guys in, get them opportunities, identify your top 40, rotate those through, and then ideally you come out of it 
in September, World Cup qualifying, and you have the your best players playing, you know your A group, and away you go. And then from that point forward, it's you know, the the lenses are focused in on on all about the World Cup. Yeah, this is this is about winning a World Cup ultimately from a men's perspective. Okay. And the closest thing you're going to get to that is an Olympics. Not a Gold Cup. I love the Gold Cup, and we're going to blow it out, and we're going to have a wonderful time, and it has wonderful moments and everything like that. But I would fall on, if you could, if I could have everybody that is available. And by the way, it's not just uh, the players that we're seeing right now. It's all of those players that are age eligible, that are below 24, that could go and don't have to be one of the overage. So then you could have another three players that are actually overage. So the, the it boggles the mind what the actual Olympic team could look like this summer. And, it, and it's going to change no matter what, uh, when they qualify, it's going to change. But who who could go and who does go are two different things. And I would I would put it all in there. All right, let's 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 turn it a little bit forward. And you mentioned the national team, the full national, because a lot of this is, you know, using it as a platform to that full national team. We got the national team back. Uh, they are in action here. Um, and by the way, just to, to, to button it up, uh, USA versus Mexico. Uh, happens. Uh, we were recording on Tuesday. This uh, comes out uh, on Wednesday, so it is happening today as you are listening to it. If you are listening to it on Wednesday, U.S.-Mexico, and then on Sunday is that most important game, that semifinal game. We don't know who the U.S. is going to face, but it is all or nothing. You win, and you go to the uh, you go to the Olympics, and a lot of the stuff that we're talking about, which I love, I, I love. The yeah, pressure. it's awesome. These these games that matter are so are great. The games that matter are so great, and we got a lot of them coming in uh, in 2021. So it's going to be fun. All right, let's turn it forward to uh, games coming up against Jamaica and Northern Ireland. You can see the Northern Ireland one actually on March 28th on Big Fox. So we're going to be having that uh, really really interesting group of players. And once again, to your point, Stu, Greg Berhalter has not gotten a lot of time. All of this talent that we talk about. I don't know what Greg Berhalter's best 11 is, and I, I definitely think he doesn't know yet. He may have something in his in his mind, but until we actually see these players together, um, and it's hard, and it's going to be few and far between. So, for example, Musa that we talked about you know, with the great news last week, uh, we got to see him on the field. Chris Richards as a potential other center back uh, to John Brooks going forward. A lot of people have him already in there. Well, we got to see him on the field. Gio Reyna who is in and out of the lineup when it comes to Borussia Dortmund. A lot of people were talking to him more long-term in terms of 26, and then he started doing some really, really good things, and people are talking about him uh, for 2022. Well, he's got to be on the field, and we got to see what that looks like. So a lot of interesting things when it comes to these couple of games here with a lot of these European players finally getting together. What are you looking for, Stu, and you looking for, Mossy, in these games coming up? Mossy, you want to start us off here? Well, I actually have a question for you too, because we did a segment a few days ago where you guys each picked your ideal U.S. starting lineup right now, and there were a couple of very interesting disagreements. Um, I'll start at fullback. Uh, Stu, you had Reggie Cannon on the right and Sergio Des on the left. Sergio Des, who, by the way, scored two goals this past weekend for Barcelona against Real Sociedad, one of them assisted by Messi, so great moment for him. Uh, while Alexi had Sergio Des on the right and Sam Vines on the left, and then the other disagreement that caught my attention was up top, where uh, you had Josh Sargent, I believe, uh, could have also gone Daryl DK, who's doing incredibly well uh, in Europe. Both those guys, Sargent and DK, in good form right now, while Alexi is still kind of on this page that none of these young guys have fully convinced him. So he still defaults. He's to still on pumping the Josie train. So yeah, I don't he, know where you guys want to start there, but both those really caught my attention where you guys were not. God, I'd love to dig dig up old takes exposed when Lexi said that Bradley and Altidore, get them out. And I said, keep them in. You need the experience. Hey, 
out back Here then. Is. Now where it's a different wow. time. Times have changed. Two years later, and he's like pumping the Altidore train. No way. Um, look, I, I think this roster roster is interesting, and I we were talking about it, Alexi, a little bit about these games upcoming, and and I said that this is really the last chance. Um, for free caps. And and I say that like, okay, every cap is earned. I I think every player that has played and represented the senior team, you know, to think of what you've accomplished to get to that point, cherish it, enjoy it. But over the last couple of years, a number of players have been capped by the U S men's national team that in a normal cycle, had we qualified for the world cup would not be getting those opportunities. And it's because we've been experimenting. The experimenting phase is really starting to get to an end now. And you look at these two friendlies, the roster's getting narrowed down. It's largely European. Uh, I'm really interested to see Daryl DK in the form that he is in right now for Barnsley. And boy, has he exploded onto the scene. College soccer at Virginia. Great season for Orlando City. On loan at Barnsley, scoring goals left and right, and now being linked with Premier League teams. That's what you want. There, there's some competition now at the number nine spot. And I would caution American soccer fans now of getting overly excited by any little moment that any American does in Europe, because, you know, it's time to start focusing on when guys have genuine impacts and have genuine minutes, like guys like Serginho Dest, Mossy, like you said, and, it's amazing that we've come from, I think, 10 years ago with American soccer when a guy scored in the, you know, the Dutch second division. It's like all over social media. Everybody's erupting on Yanks abroad. And now we're genuinely looking at a time when McKenney is scoring for Juventus, assisted by Ronaldo. Messi is assisting Serginho Dest. Giorena is playing for Dortmund. And you have guys playing at the biggest clubs. It's an exciting time. But, but, you know, it, it's also a time where we still need to be realistic about how many minutes this team has played together and that we haven't seen this team in competitive, really competitive matches where they mean something. And that's why I'm excited for 2021. And lastly, before I throw it to Alexi here on Serginho Dest, in an ideal world, I want Serginho Dest playing as a right wing back for the men's national team. That's his best position. But we do not have a good enough left back yet go back 20 years that you say that's our best left back and a guy that I trust to play at the same type of level. I think Des could play as a left back and Cannon could play as a right back without nullifying what could be a really good threat for us. And Sam Vines is not ready yet, Alexi. He's not ready for me in my, in my eyes to, to start a big qualifier for the men's national team. He's still developing. Uh, I would rather have Anthony Robinson in that position. I wouldn't. Um, but uh, when I when I think about this, how, wait. So you're you're saying that someone like DK could possibly start for the national team? And and I I I I, I know I didn't hear you wrong. He, he's a collegiate player. Someone from the college uh, he, ranks. He, he, he played college how soccer. How is that possible? By the way, speaking of uh, of college, I watched Operation Varsity Blues. I know I didn't tell you at the top of the show uh, who, what I watched, but it, you guys should check it out. It's a docudrama out there about the whole college admission scandal out there, and and. But when we're talking about college, college is still going to be a path and uh, college athletics are still going to have a a place um, to play uh, when it's when it's coming uh, when it's coming through. So, look, I want if you have a world class player. okay, and I think that Serginho Dest is that I want him playing in the position that makes him world class. Um, By the way, I think Canada is probably going to have the same 
problem or question when it comes to Alfonso Davies and where he is ultimately going to play for the Canadian national team relative to what he does and the world-classness that he has uh, for Bayern Munich. But that's why I put him out there. The left-back position, yes, it is a problem. And the reason why I have Josie Altidore out there is, to your point, nobody has stepped up. And I've said this before, until somebody does, and I hope that that somebody does, whether it's DK or anybody else, I hope this year shows us that that could happen. But if we were had a World Cup qualifier tomorrow, I'm going to go with the players that I have a better idea of what they are going to do. And by the way, that, that the left back position, there is nobody. There is nobody. And yes, you could do the flip like that. But like I said, I want that world class uh, uh, over there on the right on the right hand side. But this is this is the good moment that we're in. There are so many different options and different and differing types of opinions because of the talent and because now we have all of these different players. And it's all theoretical until we actually see them on the field. But it does foster this type of debate. Uh, that we are having right now. Um, okay, those friendlies are, as we said, March 25th against Jamaica, and then Northern Ireland, March 28th. That Northern Ireland game uh, is going to be on Fox. A lot of different players that we are going to see there. I know Mossy wants to add something before we uh, move on to some other stuff. I just want to sneak in one more question, Stu. Um, Yunus Musa is in this U.S. squad. He is now committed to play for the United States, choosing the U.S. over England. Uh, tomorrow in Olympic qualifying, uh, the Mexico team will have a kid named Santiago Munoz, who was born in El Paso, Texas, who the U.S. is courting. The Mexico senior squad, which is playing friendlies against Wales and Costa Rica, has Efren Alvarez, who Greg Berhalter made clear the U.S. is still pursuing. Alexi and I talked recently about this whole business of dual nationals and how important an aspect of national team play it's become. And I, I even compared it to uh, college football and college basketball recruiting. And Alexi, and, and, I, and I actually have some sympathy for this point of view, he, he finds something off-putting about uh, a player having to be recruited to play for, for a national team. Do you see it that same way or you don't have an issue with it? Or uh, how do you feel about how, how much this has grown now and become such a uh, part of this whole deal? I, I get the grumbling from, from Alexi. And uh... You know, from a guy who is a dual national, was born in Scotland, uh, moved to the United States at a young age. Uh, when the decision came, it wasn't a decision for me. I felt very, uh, I was I was honored and excited and uh, prideful to re- represent the United States while still uh, being prideful of my heritage and being born in Scotland. And I, 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 I've seen good and bad cases. And I, I've been on the national team uh, during a time when a lot of dual nationals were coming in and Jurgen Klinsmann was bringing in a lot of German Americans. And what I would say is it, it depends on the person and it depends on the personality. It depends on your upbringing. And, and I recognize that in today's day and age, uh, the United States is a very diverse, you know, we have a lot of uh, Mexican Americans. We have a lot of German Americans. We have, you know, America in itself. There's so many national, uh, different types of uh, nationalities, and and that's why I don't want to just say, well, do we have to recruit you when maybe your mom was born in Mexico and your dad is born in America, and you grew up in a household that you know is nationalistic towards both and feels that pride. So that's where I think I have some sympathy, and that, and I also recognize that it is important to. Uh, to show some of these these talents that the you know the United States is welcoming to you. We want you to be a part of this project and selling it in a sense. And it's a reality. If you're not doing it, you're potentially going to lose some of these players. And I would say uh, the narrative before. And you guys remember Jonathan Gonzalez when the big uproar and we lost him to oh, Mexico. Yeah. Does he have a cap for Mexico right now? And it's not to say that he <laughs> won't. Um, and it, it's it's also just to show 
that's in some cases we're going to get the player in some cases we're not. And in some cases we're going to lose a player that will have no impact. And that player now, Jonathan Gonzalez potentially thinking, Oh man, where did this go wrong for me? What, where would I be if I'd gone to the United States and I'd be in this mix with potentially their most exciting generation yet. And that's right now something the United States really have going for them. And Tata Martino recognizes the Mexican Federation recognized it. I mean, they, they have essentially a group designated just to do this. And the U.S., I think, have done a really good job over the past year, year and a half with some big gets. Musa and Des being the two headliners there of two guys that will represent the American national team and have a, a really big impact for them. All right. Well, anyway, uh, we're going to be excited about these games. Uh, I'm excited. A lot of people are excited. Well, maybe we'll find something out after the, couple, the next couple of weeks and we'll be able to have more definitive types of lineups and a better idea of at least who Greg Berhalter thinks uh, he's going to use uh, going forward. And these are all, like we always say, Tata Martino, uh, you know, he, he coined it. Champagne. Champagne problems, right? Okay. <laughs> and these are good things to have. These are good challenges for uh, Berhalter and all of us as we, uh, as we go on. Uh, okay. Um, before we finish up this segment and we let uh, Stu go, I wanted to, I wanted to bring up something about uh, David Beckham's Inter Miami, because that's basically the name of the team. Let's be honest, okay? And it didn't start off great right now, but when you associate yourself with one of the biggest names, most famous people, biggest brands in the world, there is a level of expectation that they have yet to live up to in terms of what this Miami team uh, was proposed to be relative to what it actually is at this point. David Beckham has, as we've talked about, become much more active in the uh, situation right now. He's on the ground. He's at training. He's giving interviews. Um, his face is everywhere, and he has basically taken it upon himself, and probably because it was a poor reflection on him and his brand, what happened so far. Uh Firings, uh, changes of uh, the guard, and certainly not the elite level of team that we kind of expected from uh, a David Beckham uh, situation. Uh, he recently did an interview where he talked about the recruiting process and the big names that we associated, uh, that we thought we were going to associate with the team. And he talked about how um, he doesn't think that it's going to be problematic going forward to attract big names to the Miami area and to ultimately his inter-Miami team. Uh, Stu, first off, you know, has, well, I think that's, the answer is no, but in your mind, do you think that Miami has lived up to what it promised? And more importantly, do you think going forward, there is going to be a change to live up to that? No, they absolutely have not. I, I, I don't think uh, you need me to, to, to tell you that as well. You, you recognize that. I think most fans recognize that. Um, and quite frankly, they, they've, they've barely put a foot right, if we're being honest. And, and this was a long courtship. And this was Beckham, you know, picking different sites. And where was it going to land? And we landed on Miami. And Miami was going to come into MLS. And boy, they were just going to blow it out of the water. I have some sympathy for, for Miami while while you know, simultaneously crushing them for a number of the things that they've gotten wrong on and off the field in their recruitment and uh, the stadium uh, disaster that they're having right now. Um, the front office, a number of hires and fires they've had within a year. I mean, hired a coach in Diego Alonso and, it, you know, barely giving the guy a fair shot during COVID, et cetera. And it's just saying, done, not, not what we want. Um, I have sympathy in that Yes, it was COVID. It was 2020. It was a difficult year. You're trying to launch a team during a pandemic and, and create this buzz and this hype. And then you can't have fans in the stands. You can't even sell out your, your stadium in Fort Lauderdale. 
And I will give ownership credit in that they recognize that and they've recognized the product on the field wasn't good enough. And they've made attempted to make changes, albeit look in major league soccer in the single entity entity structure, your, your hands are tied in many ways with regard to salary cap and what you can do and how much flexibility you have. So I think we're going to see that Miami in year three. And I believe Beckham, look, Miami is a booming town. It's on the up again. It's a, it's a tech hub. Uh, it's a beautiful place to live. Uh, the climate is great. It's attractive for European players. The money has to follow to bring those names. But if David Beckham saying we can attract them, it, me, it leads me to believe that they're going to pay that type of money and bring those players in. Iguain didn't do it for me. Matuidi didn't do it for me. Um, you know, Pizarro ha- hasn't quite lived up to the uh, expectations just yet. So, you know, they didn't get it right with their DPs. They didn't get it right from the middle of their squad. That roster was a disaster last year. I, I have hope, though, that this team will figure it out quicker uh, than some other teams we have seen in Major League Soccer. And it is a priority, especially for Beckham, as you said, Alexi. It's a reflection on him, his brand, the Moss brothers down in Miami who have a big brand and a name. And it, it, I think for them right now, this is a big embarrassment and they want to make sure they get it right quickly. Um, all right. So, yeah. Well, maybe what they should do is sign Christian Pulisic. Uh, because, uh, you know, I mean, he, he's not necessarily playing a lot, although we should mention that he did play this past week and not only played, but starred, did, looked really, really good, even had a viral moment in terms of his dribbling. And that, that's a, that's good for the U S men's national team. Uh, but who knows going forward? I mean, if you're talking about big stars, now that would be something if David Beckham's inner Miami was able to lure Christian Pulisic back, uh, to, uh, to the, so, I mean, you're, the you're taking it back to early MLS luring back Landon Donovan uh, or know? the, uh, you know, the early 2010, 2011 was it when Michael Bradley and uh, or 2013 when him and Dempsey right, came back? Right, you know, make that's a that right, would be oh, a that big would be a, that's a hot take, Alexi. Because right. if Pulisic came to Miami, could you imagine the reaction of a guy? The perception would be externally that he's mailing it in and he's coming back to MLS. Right, but then you would have David Beckham and that global brand backing him and explaining, no, that's not the case at all. We're actually fundamentally changing the way that MLS operates and that this is the first person and the uh, the beginning of a movement towards the other way. I don't know, Mossy, what do you think? Guys, why sign a star when you can develop one? I have two words for you, Edison Ascona. Here we go, here we go. Uh, For those that don't know, Mossy, well, well, finish it up, Mossy, because not everybody's going to know who you're talking about. Uh, Edison Ascona is a 17-year-old who is representing the Dominican Republic in this CONCACAF Olympic qualifying tournament, and he has been the revelation so far, Stu. I don't know if you agree with me, but I've been thoroughly impressed by this kid. Really impressed with him. I think he has a ton of ability. Um, I'm, I'm not willing to, to remotely tout him in the same conversation as Pulisic or, or any of those guys yet, but... If he has another good year of development with their Fort Lauderdale, I think you'll see this guy playing for their first team uh, come maybe a year from now. But I, Masi, I, I've been very impressed with him. A, a huge confidence and personality for a 17-year-old. It's actually one of the fun parts about this Olympic qualifying tournament that we're covering, Gold Cups included, Olympics, etc. You, you get to learn about guys in a shop window that you didn't know about before and, and see these guys express themselves. And he's taken that opportunity with both hands. Well, you know who still is relatively young and always plays on the first team? That would be Stu Holden. Uh, Stu, thank you so much, buddy, for stopping by. As always, we will look forward to seeing and hearing you as this tournament continues. And then, uh, listen, 
we got a we got a big big year, a big big summer coming up. Lots of soccer, and hopefully we're heading in the right direction to to be able to see that soccer in the way that we know uh, and and some sort of normalcy with crowds getting back. Uh, but regardless, you are going to see and hear from Stuart Holden uh, on all the different things that we do. Uh, you're always a pleasure to have here with uh, with all of your insight, and it's always a pleasure to uh, work with you, my friend. All right. Uh, thank you, Lex. Merci, uh, Mossi, because he's, you know, the French savant these days. And uh, my, my last note is that I, Alexi, you and I were walking off the set yesterday and I said, I cannot wait to just feel that rumble and that energy from a live crowd. And I know we're trending back that way as, as hopefully we get to the end of a pandemic in 2021. But uh, we have a lot of competitive soccer. We have a lot of pressure matches. This is the time to be a fan and, and to be covering the game and Hopefully after a really dark 2020, this is going to be a fun year, man. Amen, my friend. Amen, my friend. I'll see you in the studio. Merci, David. Au revoir. Merci, au revoir. All right, the great Stu Holden. We're going to take a real quick break here. When we come back, we'll uh, take a trip around the rest of the world. Don't go anywhere. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. All right, we're back. That was fun. Uh, it's always fun having Stu, uh, Stu on the show and uh, talking about all the things. Uh, he, he keeps, he, he is young. Uh, well, certainly younger than I am, and he keeps us all young uh, with his youthful exuberance. <laughs> uh, Mossy, where do you want to go first? Uh, we're going to take a little trip around the world here. There's all sorts of stuff going on. Well, why don't we get the Champions League draw out of the way first, okay. then we'll, we'll shift to the international stuff. Uh, yeah, the draw occurred late last week. Uh, the quarterfinal matchups are Manchester City Dortmund, uh, Bayern Munich PSG, uh, Real Madrid Liverpool, and Porto Chelsea. And they actually uh, already drew the semifinal matchups too, so we know who would face who. So the winner of... Manchester City Dortmund would face the winner of Bayern PSG, much to Grant Walsh's chagrin. Uh, and then the winner of Porto Chelsea would face the winner of Real Madrid Liverpool. So uh, uh, where do you want to go here? Well, well I do. Call. I mean, you, you mentioned it. I mean, you mentioned Grant Wall. And for those that don't know, Grant, uh, you know, made a point of, of saying that he was lamenting the fact that the way that these matchups have happened we are going to get some very, very good teams playing against each other, and obviously one of them being knocked out at a stage when, uh, at least according to Grant, he wouldn't, you know, he would have he would have done it differently. And look, this this brought about debate uh, from a lot of different people that agreed or disagreed, and then it took a whole other direction out there. But you know, it it does it does 
you know, it does ask the question right here. Look, these are some scrumptious types of matchups uh, no matter what. But, you know, to his point, if you were organizing a tournament with these eight teams uh, in a single elimination or, you know, uh, home and away type of situation, you would you would probably do it differently to give yourself the best possible chance of the best teams ultimately meeting uh, in, in the final. Do you do you appreciate and respect what Grant was saying in that sense? Uh, no, I don't want to pile on, but uh, I thoroughly disagreed with his uh, <laughs> his tweet. Uh, but but the thing he had an issue with was that Manchester City and Dor- and uh, Bayern, excuse me, who I think most people's estimation are the two best teams in Europe this season, have certainly emerged over the course of the season. Is that that they would meet before the final if they win their respective quarterfinal ties, they would meet in the semis. Uh, but first they have to win their quarterfinals. Um, so, uh, in, in terms of Manchester city, Dortmund, uh, f- in theory, first leg at the Etihad, second leg, uh, at Signal Duna park, but both these games might be in Budapest for all we know. Right. I mean, uh, we'll see. Um, uh, interesting point of interest for me, obviously Erlen Holland, who's been linked with potentially a move to Manchester city. So everybody always is going to have their eye on him, but also Jaden Sancho. And you and I have talked endlessly about this on the pod. Uh, Jaden Sancho was an Academy player at Manchester city concerned about, lack of playing time with the first team. So he moved to Dortmund and has blossomed into a big star there while Phil Foden stuck it out. It took a while, but now he's blossoming into a big star. So it's going to be interesting to see them on the field against each other, Sancho and Foden, and everybody's going to compare and contrast the paths they each took. Uh, so, and, and, and Pep did comment on Sancho, said he has no regrets. He recognizes what a great player he is, but hey, he made his decision and he's happy for him. And, and so I'm kind of looking forward to that in this match. All right, well, let's go through these if we have to pick them right now. You're taking City over Dortmund, right? Uh, I would take City over Dortmund. Okay, yes. and then Real Madrid, Liverpool. Is this is this a tricky one, or or is it not so tricky? Yeah, you know, this is an interesting one. I lean Liverpool, uh, and I can't get that Chelsea Atletico Madrid tie out of my mind. Uh, th- this might just be a down year for La Liga and an up year for the Premier League, and sort of we don't quite uh, notice it until they actually face each other head to head. And so uh, I, I know Liverpool have their issues at the back. I know Keith Costigan is very concerned about how they're going to defend Kareem Benzema, who is having a phenomenal season to the point where people are discussing whether Benzema needs to be in that Lewandowski Holland conversation of who the best center forwards are in Europe right now. And, and I agree, he's he's really carried that Real Madrid attack. Nobody around them is scoring any goals. We know Eden Hazard has been a disaster right. and is injured again. And so he's going to be no factor in this tie. Um, and, and, you know, it's Real Madrid. They have the pedigree and all that. But I, I lean Liverpool. Really? Okay, I'm going to lean uh, Real Madrid. Okay, then Porto Chelsea. Who's the underdog in this? Uh, Porto is the underdog. Chelsea made out great. And Chelsea have a little something going on right now. You mentioned Pulisic in the first segment. Uh, they are also through to the FA Cup semifinals. They'll play Manchester City in mid-April. Uh, they they knocked off Sheffield United in the quarterfinals this past weekend. Pulisic started, had a great game, had that unbelievable elastico-type play where he split two defenders that went viral. So they've even kind of got him going again with all the other players that have improved under Tuchel. And so Chelsea, and they're, they're solidly in the top four. So Chelsea have a little something going on. That Lampard-Tuchel switch really ignited them reminds me a little bit of 2012 when they got rid of vs bows and brought in di matteo and ended up winning the champions league and the fa cup that same season the history could be repeating themselves here i definitely pick them against porto and i think they would have a 50 50 chance against either real madrid or liverpool in the semi so we could be looking at christian Pulisic really? why do you why do you why are you so quick to pick them against porto and why do you consider porto such an underdog <laughs> yeah i guess i don't um 
I just sort of had this low opinion of Porto going into the knockout stage. And then the fact that they knocked out Juventus and listen, credit to them and Pepe's performance in that second leg was transcendent. But I, I kind of view that as Juventus screwing up more than Porto being better than I thought. Maybe it's unfair, but I haven't really recalibrated my opinion of Porto. I, I still view them How as sort of the outside. How dare you? All right. <laughs> I'm going Porto for sure now. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Um, all right. Alex Dowd, here's that. <laughs> Uh, but but look, Tuchel, I mean, is is worth whatever they're paying him and much more. What he has come in and I mean, fundamentally changed the fortunes of that team. It's pretty incredible. Yeah, uh, and then that leaves the big one, yep. uh, which is Bayern, Bayern Munich PSG, right? PSG. We should mention Real Madrid Liverpool is a rematch of the 2018 final. You remember, Loris Karius had that shocker, and Real Madrid won three one. And then Bayern PSG is a rematch of last season's final, which Bayern won one nil in the bubble in Lisbon on a goal by Kingsley Coman. Um, you know, it's it's obviously a, a terrible draw for PSG. And I, I know nobody's ever going to feel sorry for them, but spare a thought for PSG for one moment. They were in a group with Manchester United and Leipzig. Then they faced Barcelona in the round of 16, Bayern in the quarterfinals. If they get through that, probably Man City in the semis. And then if they get to the finals, still well, Real Madrid, Liverpool, or Chelsea. So if, if, if when the dust settles here, PSG won the Champions League, it will have been the most incredible path to get there. Uh, but... Uh, do you first think that, up, do you think that either of these teams are better now than they were when they when they faced off in the Champions League final? Well, it, you know, it's funny. We, we just praised Tuchel, but I do think PSG, the Tuchel-Pochettino switch has done them some good as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, for whatever reason, Tuchel just never really clicked there. I know he got to a final uh, last season, but that was somewhat odd circumstances, that bubble. They got an easy draw. They played Atalanta and Leipzig to get there. Um, uh, I do think with Pochettino coaching them, they're a bit more solid. Um, uh, I know they were off on the second leg, but that first leg performance against Barcelona really impressed me, uh, showed that Pochettino can put put together a nice, compact, organized team there. The question is reintegrating Neymar to the mix. He came back this past weekend, came off the bench against Lyon, and and, and again with him, it's just not going to be enough time on the field. Now there's an international break, then you come back, there's one more game against Lille, and then the Bayern game. So Neymar, assuming he starts the first leg against Bayern, he'll step on the field that day having played, having started one game in the last two months leading up to that game, essentially. And that's been my issue with Neymar. I know there are people that think, well, who cares about these league out games? All you really need him for is a Champions League. But I think there's some value in him playing those games. So he's in a proper rhythm. He goes into the big championship games in sort of a natural flow of the season versus always coming back off these long injury layoffs. And so that really concerns me for PSG in this tie. But if if Pochettino can sort of preserve the that compactness that we saw in that first leg against Barcelona and reintegrate Neymar into that, then I think they have a real chance. I mean, they were very competitive in that final last season and Bayern are not as good. They, they have some defensive vulnerabilities. So uh, it's going to be very interesting that time. All right, who are you picking? I'll pick PSG. You will. All right. Then it's I'll been three years on this podcast. I might as well say something interesting. <laughs> All right. I'm going to pick Bayern Munich. So we we differ <laughs> on three different games. So I have Real Madrid as opposed to you having Liverpool. I have Porto. You have Chelsea. I have Bayern Munich, and you have PSG. The only one. Now I reserve the right to change the week of these first legs. We'll we'll really dig into them more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Between now and then, there's an injury or of something. Course. I reserve the oh, right. Of to... course. Don't worry. We're not going to hold you to it. All right. What <laughs> do you want to move to? What? Go ahead. Uh, let me just get in. The Europa League draw also occurred, and boy. This is breaking nicely for Arsenal. Uh, Arsenal uh, in the Europa League quarterfinals will get Slavia Prague, and then in the semis it would be the winner of Villarreal versus or Dinamo Zagreb. So I like Arsenal's chances a lot to get to a final. The other side of the draw is tougher. You've got Manchester United against Granada, and then Roma Ajax, and the winners of those ties face each other in the semis. But we could be headed for an Arsenal Manchester United Europa League final. Hey, here. Listen, that would be fun. Don't put it past Arsenal to screw up a good thing, okay? <laughs> 
<laughs> well, the other North London club is the one that really screwed up. I know there were people on Twitter that really wanted us to get into this. I mean, we kind of missed the window on it, but Tottenham getting knocked out by Dinamo Zagreb last week is just extraordinary because they are still in the top four mix for sure. But Mourinho, he wanted to keep this path yeah. open. He's he's a manager who, to his credit, sees the value in 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 emphasizing the Europa League and that that, that could end up being your better path to the Champions League. And so he put out strong lineups in the Europa League. He was definitely taking it seriously. And yet somehow they conspired to throw away a 2-0 first leg lead against Zagreb. And now they better finish in the top four or the season's a disaster. There was nothing special about their, that performance. Um, okay. Uh, where do you want to move to now? Uh, well, uh, it is an international break. And for me, the headline is that uh, 2022 World Cup qualifying is beginning in both UEFA and CONCACAF. Uh, lots of games. And so I'd love to dig into that if, you, if you're up for it. Well, let's do it. What do we got here? What do we got here? And, and Comnibol uh, is postponed, right? Uh, Correct. Okay. There was that whole imbroglio involving the European players getting released, and the end result of that was they postponed the matches. Okay. All right. Um, but yeah, in uh, in Europe, it's 55 countries fighting for 13 spots. The way it works is uh, it's 10 groups. The 10 group winners qualify, and then they take the 10 second place finishers, and then two other teams from the Nations League, depending on their Nations League performance, which leaves you with 12. And they're going to set up three different little four team uh, brackets. Uh, and out of that, you're going to get three more teams. And so combined with the group winners, that's how you end up with 13. Um, and a few big picture thoughts here. First of all, I'd be remiss if I didn't start here. Zlatan is back for Sweden, 39 years of age. Uh, he had retired after Euro 2016. And now 20 years after his first call, by the way, his first cap was in 2001. Here he is back in the mix with Sweden. And he's talking up wanting to play in this next World Cup if they qualify. He'd be 41. Uh, I'm sure you, Rob Stone, and all the other Zlatan fans, very happy to see this. Huh? I, I am. Uh, I'm happy to see it. But I am really interested to see how the discussion went. I mean, it might have been just like, Zlatan, I want to play, and I'm going, I'm going to play. <laughs> but we know, having covered this team, how, you know, what the, the, the long shadow that he casts, even when he's not even actually on the team. We saw it, you know, with him making appearances at the World Cup. And, you know, is this, is this an act of desperation? Is this an act that just illustrates the incredible leverage and power that he has? Or is this really a fundamental decision that, you know what, despite all his baggage, despite all the problems, this is a guy that continues to be, regardless of his age and his injury and all that kind of stuff, the best that we have. And maybe that's an indictment on, you know, the youth development that they have, but still it doesn't change the reality that this guy can lead you to a promised land that, you know, is still very far off for a team like that. And Sweden, by the way, in the same group as Spain. So uh, it's going to be tough to win that group. Um, staying with the center forward theme, uh, Erland Holland, Norway, they're in the same group as the Netherlands. Um, you know, we've seen great players over the years that uh, came from countries that don't have a whole lot of pedigree. And so they didn't get to shine at the international level. George Best being a famous example of that. George Way with Liberia. Um, I, I really hope Erlen Holland's career doesn't go that way. Um, I hope Norway are able to develop enough players. Obviously, they have another great talent in Martin Odegaard, but, but they'll need more than that. And they're able to surround them with enough talent that, that they can qualify for these major tournaments. Uh, so their, their attempts to qualify for this next World Cup begin now. And boy, it'd be great to have Erlen Holland in Qatar in the 2022. Huh? It, it, is, it is a real kick in the you-know-what when we have these incredible players that you know just because of where they were born and who they represent, we don't get to see on that international stage where we know 
look, they're going to be legendary, I think, no matter what. And I'm not talking about that. But there is a there is a special type of legend that comes from the international game. And having that either as, you know, the primary place that you create your legend or just adding and augmenting to a legend that you already have, it's good. And it, it, you're right. It is. It's sad when we don't see it. I mean, even even Zlatan, part of the reason why I'm excited about this is to see him starring in a World Cup and, and doing something like that and adding to the already, you know, amazing legend that he has. That would that's good. And, I, and, I, and so I don't, to your point, want to see some of these great players not get that opportunity. Uh, England are in the same group as Poland, Robert Lewandowski, so those games will be fun. Uh, a couple more for you. Uh, Germany, it's a little bit of an odd dynamic. Yogi Love has announced he's stepping down after the Euros this summer, but he begins this World Cup qualifying campaign still in charge, even though he is not going to manage at the World Cup. Uh, their squad still no Thomas Muller, Hummels, or Boateng. He did call uh, Jamal Musiala. We talk about Yunus Musa. England lost another one of these dual national battles with Germany for, for him, for Musiala. Um, uh, do you think it's odd to be starting a, a World Cup qualifying campaign with a manager who's not going to be the guy later on during qualifying and also for the World Cup if you eventually get there? Yes, I think it's it's odd. But, you know, the you know, the transition of power and the the uh, the, the transitional planning that I think that the, the German Federation has done, there's an there's an understanding. So I don't think it's going to derail Germany, but I do think it's I think it's a little odd. I mean, we've talked about it before over in Germany where they they sign coaches uh, for a year out sometimes and we've seen it we've seen it happen so it's not it's not completely strange but to us it is and it would be a little strange for me and then last one before we shift to CONCACAF uh, I continue to be enamored with Portugal's squad I know we got a long way to go but uh, I think Portugal has a real chance to win this next World Cup which would be you know the crowning achievement really when you look at that squad, you see Ruben Diaz and João Cancelo and Bernardo Silva and Bruno Fernandes and João Felix and Cristiano Ronaldo and Diogo Jota. I mean, just talent up and down. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going to have my eye on Portugal during this qualifying campaign to see if they're going to kind of live up to this because I'm, I'm super high on them. Well, as we've well, what we have found out then is while you, you know, you reserve incredible praise and love and respect for the national team of uh, Portugal, that does not necessarily mean that you like Porto. OK. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's uh, that's cool. All right, well, anyway, good luck to England uh, as they take on San Marino in a couple of days. Okay, uh, we'll see if they can get past it. And, and they're going to squeeze three games during this break because they're sort of in catch-up mode too because of the pandemic. Ah, more games, the better. I love I love games. I loved games. I hated training. I I, I loved playing <laughs> games. The more games, the better. What else, Mossy? Uh, and then shifting to CONCACAF, which, remember, there's 35 teams. The top five, uh, which includes the U.S. and Mexico, straight into the octagonal. They took the other 30, divided them into um, six groups of five. You play teams in your group, and then the six group winners will come out of that. They'll play two-legged ties against each other, and that'll leave three teams that will join the other five in the octagonal. So we now start that first round, which is those six groups of five. And there are some big teams in there, Canada, Panama, Haiti, Trinidad and Tobago. Haiti, by the way, let me spend a second on them. Uh, you know, they had this craziness in their first Olympic qualifier where they arrived late, didn't get the proper COVID testing done in time. And so they had to start the match against Honduras with 10 players and no goalkeeper. And we all kind of looked at that and shook our head. And that's just Haiti being Haiti and what a mess. And it sort of obscures the fact that Haiti has been on the rise lately. They had a fantastic mm -hmm. run in the 2019 Gold Cup, uh, got to the semifinals, beating Canada and Costa Rica along the way, lost to Mexico in extra time. 
uh, in the semis. They also qualified for the 2019 Under-17 World Cup in Brazil. First time in a long time they've been in that competition. And actually, they've given a decent account of themselves in these Olympic qualifiers. Once they got that 11th player on the field against Honduras, they were very competitive. And then I thought they were quite good against Canada. They could have won that game. So uh, keep an eye on Haiti because it's not – if they can get out of each other's way uh, – <laughs> no, yeah, Jeff Hernandez texting me. I was going to get to that. There's just a crazy story involving their upcoming qualifier against Belize where the Belize bus was stopped and there were some robbers that tried to, you know, I haven't read this story carefully enough to really get into it. But again, that's what you have to, you know, with Haiti, it's it's less about the, the players on the field. It's all this craziness that surrounds them in that country, unfortunately. And so, you know. Well, that's, you know, and that's... You know, that's the shame. That's the shame of it because there is quality. And, you know, if you're Victor Montaliani, the, the head of CONCACAF, this is this is your daily struggle and fight is to bring all of these teams up in terms of how they go about doing things. And, you know, some of the stuff that is self-inflicted, uh, you know, the, the you know the situation with not having enough players and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Masi, uh, I, I think our listeners would, uh, would enjoy it because you mentioned to me you had actually read uh, – an article uh, that lamented the fact of what Haitian soccer had turned into, what the Federation had turned into. And in this moment, looking to the game and looking to this team and not being able to kind of wrap your arms around something uh, that deserves to be uh, and can and can be used to bring up people's spirits. Yeah, it was a column in a Haitian newspaper called Le Nouveau Liste. And basically the guy talked about how uh, Haiti is a country with so many problems. They've been hit hard by the pandemic. And soccer is what everybody there looks to uh, for an escape. And, and I mentioned that great Gold Cup run in 2019. That really galvanized the nation. And so they were looking at this Olympic qualifying tournament as potentially being the same thing and being able to lift the spirits of the country. And then, lo and behold, they have this, what the, what the article referred to as an organizational debacle uh, leading into their first game. And they end up having to take the field against Honduras with 10 men and a field player in goal. And so the article was just lamenting that uh, uh, they essentially let the whole country down, the people that, 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 you know, the federation that were in charge of organizing for this tournament. And, and really, it was it was actually kind of sad. I read the article and yep. I got a bit emotional yep. because, yeah, I mean, for what you just mentioned, it's... Well, you know, for for teams like Canada and for uh, for Haiti that have to go through now this uh, this other process and this other back door to arrive at the octagonal, which uh, the U.S. is automatically qualified for, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a long process. But, you know, Canada uh, is, is on the up. Uh, you know, you look even at uh, Buchanan, who we're watching play for the Canadian Olympic team, right now, which is the real deal. Uh, I hope that someone like Canada makes it through this process and is able to step into that octagonal because I think it would make it better. I couldn't agree more. To me, that's been the the best story in CONCACAF the last couple of years, the emergence of Canada. Now, we may not get to really see it uh, this month because they've had a lot of issues getting players released. And also they had this uh, COVID outbreak at Toronto FC. So they uh, that hurt their Olympic qualifying squad. It might affect the senior squad for these qualifiers. But just, you know, on paper, you start thinking about the names and you mentioned Buchanan. I mean, if, if they do play Davies uh, as a winger, th- there's a world in which that front three is Davies, Jonathan David and Tejan Buchanan. Or if they play Alfonso Davies as a fullback, then you have two fullbacks in Davies and Richie Larea. And, you know, there's other players coming up like Jaden Nelson and Ralph Prizo. You've got uh, Baldissimo in that midfield. You've got obviously the 
older players like Mark Anthony Kay. Um, so yeah, Canada has it, it, the prospects are really good for the next few years for them. I'm excited to watch. And just them. a reminder, Canada has not qualified for the Men's World Cup since 1986. I actually remember watching Canada and being enamored with Canada, watching that 86 World Cup because it was the closest thing as an American that I could come to having someone to cheer for our friends to the north. And I would love nothing more, not at our expense, but I would love nothing more than to see Canada qualify for a World Cup for the first time since 1986. Mossy, what else? No, so that's it for uh, CONCACAF. Uh, I do want to sneak in one more uh, international story. Did you see this Chupu Moting uh, situation with Cameroon? No, lay it on me. Uh, so Cameroon, they have two African Cup of Nations qualifiers coming up, coming up against Cape Verde and Rwanda. And Chupo Moting, the Bayern Munich striker, uh, was supposed to be in that squad for them, but they sent him an email and they asked him to confirm by a certain date that he would be available to play in those games. He didn't reply, so they took him off the squad. And then it, it was later revealed that they sent the email to the wrong address. Wow. <laughs> we talk about some of these nations not having their act together. I'm, I mean, I'm sorry. You had, I hate to make you had one job. You had one <laughs> job. I mean, can you imagine something like that? Oh, my goodness. Um, we, before we go, uh, before we leave the, you know, this international part of it, um, the, the new FIFA World Rankings came out, Mossy. Um, and uh, I, I, look, I know rankings are rankings, but uh, just to give you the top 10 right now, uh, should we go 10 to 1 or 1 to 10? What do you think, Mossy? What, what's better? Let's go. Yeah, whatever you want. All right, let's whatever go 10 to 1. All right, number 10, Italia, Italy. Number 9, oh, come on, Mexico at number 9. All right, so Mexico is in the top 10. Uh, Uruguay at eight, Argentina at seven, Spain at six, Portugal at five, England at four, Brazil at three, France at two, and Belgium at one. And look, these are designed to foster debate, and there's the the formula that people agree or disagree with ultimately. But you know, I think last week we were, or a couple weeks ago, we were talking about the goal of the United States men's national team program to consistently be in the top 10. And it's certainly doable from a CONCACAF perspective. You need to look, well, the U.S. has done it in the past, but right now we're looking at Mexico showing up at, uh, at number nine. And we'll see how you know, that, that top 10 and all the rankings are affected going forward with all of these games uh, going on. All right, Mossy, anything else from around the world? Uh, do you want to sneak in the Shabby Alonso story? I know yeah, 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 let's just touch on it right now because I, you know, I, I think it is interesting. So let the people know what's know going on with Shabby. official yet. I'm sorry, I don't know if this is official yet, but uh, it does look like Xabi Alonso is going to be the next coach at Gladbach. Marco Rosa is leaving after the season to take over uh, Dortmund. Uh, point of interest in this country is that Jesse Marsh was mm -hmm. mentioned as a possibility there, so Jesse does not get the job. Marco Rosa was Jesse Marsh's predecessor at Salzburg. He parlayed success there into the Gladbach job, so everybody put two and two together and thought, well, Jesse's doing well there. Perhaps he could be Marco Rosa's replacement, but instead it'll be Xabi Alonso. Uh, and yeah, we talk about this... Uh, ex-player fetish. It always does seem to be these like cerebral central midfielders that people think is going to translate, whether it's Pep or Zidane or Pirlo or Xabi Alonso or Xavi who's probably going to be a Barcelona coach soon or Gerard or Lampard. There's a certain type of Arteta that, that clubs are drawn to and they think that type of playing career translates into being a very good coach. Now, in the case of Xabi Alonso, this is not a guy just sort of being handed something that who hasn't worked for it. He 
played uh, for Bayern Munich uh, under Pep Guardiola. And supposedly even back then uh, knew he was going to be a coach and really studied alongside Pep and, and tried to prepare himself for that. And since then he coached Real Madrid at youth level. He's been the Real Sociedad B team coach the last couple of years. So there, there's a little something there. It's not like a Pirlo case where they just kind of handed him the job. Yeah, but um, there so. are still coaches out there and <laughs> managers out there that are looking at this and rolling their eyes. And it's 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 not going to change. I mean, it's amazing in this day and age of you know equity and equality and uh, and privilege and uh, nepotism and all that kind of stuff. This this has been going on for years. It will continue to go on because you well these hires you think you're hedging your bets by saying. This guy was a good, and in this case, a great player, and that should translate in their ability. And we know more often than not, it doesn't. As a matter of fact, many, many good coaches have not necessarily been good players, uh, which is why someone you know, like Zidane coming along, or even Pep for that matter, that were great players, their, abil- their ability to translate that and to go in that world of coaching and have success, hats off to them, because oftentimes it doesn't uh, happen like that. But they are still going to get opportunities. You are still, because your name is Thierry Henry, going to be given opportunities that others of equal and many times even better qualifications are not going to get. Life isn't fair. And soccer isn't fair. And ultimately, whether whether whatever those opportunities are that you are given, you are then going to be judged on the team doing well or the team not doing well. You might even be given the benefit of the doubt going forward um, that other people wouldn't get in terms of going through a bad patch. When normally you would get fired, maybe they give you a little bit of, of benefit of the doubt, which will be interesting to see. You know, you mentioned Juventus earlier in the pod. If they continue on with Pirlo or if they say this was a bridge too far and, you know, he needs to go back and, and do something different. And this was we, this was too much at, at, at the moment right now. All right, Mossy, uh, that's good for around the world. Uh, let's take another little quick break. And when we come back, we'll hit our Ask Alexi segment. All right, we're back, and it's time for Ask Alexi. Use that hashtag, Ask Alexi. You send in some questions, comments, concerns, and we pick out a few each week, and uh, we answer them, the, the ones that tickle our fancy. What do the people want to know this week, Mossy? Uh, first up, uh, what it is asks, were you a smack talker out on the field or a no-talk-at-all player? So the, you know, the, the act of smack talking, trash talking out there, I know is, is very prevalent in other sports. And I don't think that soccer is necessarily geared towards the ability to trash talk or smack talk. Uh, first off, it's, it's outside in much greater spaces. Um, there are obviously no timeouts or, or stoppages where a lot of that stuff can, uh, can happen relative to other sports. I know there is stoppages, but um, you also have the international aspect of it. And so therefore, oftentimes a, a language barrier. But yeah, there are, there are those that would employ that as one of those skills. I was not one of them. I never saw, like I said, the benefit. And you know, a lot of it ends up being F you, you know, which, is, which is easy but it's it's very fleeting. It has little to no effect on me or others, um, and and it's so mundane and uh, you know hackneyed that it's it doesn't it doesn't do what I would want it to do. Even if I say it in a different language, at least if you're translating into a different language, some work and therefore you know some sort of intellect has been involved. Uh, I would always, I would always try to engage at different times if it was possible, to the extent that it is in soccer, and try to throw in non sequitur type of stuff, and you know, ask, um, 
Uh, have you read Ayn Rand? <laughs> Uh, and see see how that would happen, or ask them about music, or ask them about something, uh, you know, some current event that was going on, just in passing, and and it 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 was just to kind of throw them off for a a second as they kind of twist and turn, and that quizzical look appears across their face. Uh, but there was not a lot of trash talking per se, and certainly not in the way that you see in like a basketball or something like that, which I think just lends itself to the trash talking uh, type of thing. Now, there, like I said, there were others that went out of their way and would prepare and find out about you know personal stuff and would use it uh, as they thought to their advantage. I also didn't want to do it, give anybody fodder. I didn't want to give anybody something more than they had, which just which is a, another way of saying I needed all the help that I could possibly get. And if I, by doing something like that, inadvertently lit a fire under that person, then it would backfire on me, and that could be, uh, that could be problematic. I don't know, Mossy, were you a trash talker when you were uh, playing? If you were out there uh, running around, do you, do, you, do you say some things? Do you verbally spar with an opponent out there? No, you've seen my lack of fitness. I was huffing and puffing. That I didn't have the energy to, say <laughs> to be asked to form any type of uh, words and syllables out there would, would be too much. I get it. Okay. Uh, next up, Brian uh, Neal, I think it's pronounced. Um, why doesn't FIFA's rule of using under 23 men's teams at the Olympics apply to the women's teams as well? Okay. So for those that have ever experienced or been to or watched uh, men's soccer at an Olympics, it is traditionally and almost um, traditionally and historically a huge, huge event. So much so that you actually, if a if a, an Olympics is in a certain city, for example, you always have satellite cities to accommodate the soccer, the football that is going on because of the size of the crowds and because of the popularity. And that is the case uh, when the, you know, going back to Olympics that were here in Los Angeles, uh, even the Olympics that I played in, even though the Olympics were in Atlanta, quote unquote Atlanta, we were playing games in Birmingham, Alabama and Washington, D.C. in 92. In Barcelona, we were playing games, satellites in all sorts of different cities. That's how big it is. And that's how popular it is. And that's how, let's be honest, how much money that it is uh, that, it, that it is scheduled to uh, to make, and FIFA, their biggest cash cow and their prize asset and possession uh, and property is uh, the World Cup, uh, and certainly the Men's World Cup relative to the amount of money that it generates relative to the Women's World Cup, and they wanted to protect against making the Olympics just another World Cup. And so they, you know, there were concessions made. Originally, it was, unfortunately, from a FIFA perspective, becoming another World Cup. And so what they did is they made it under 23 at the time of the Olympics. Uh, and then, you know, they said, well, listen, we kind of want to get some of those stars involved. And then they made it under 23 and then uh, at the time of the Olympics. And then you could add three over-aged players to bring it in and kind of get some of that star power. And that's where it's kind of... Uh, you know, sat now for for a while. Now, as the women's game has grown, and as um, you know, the individual uh, players continue to uh, evolve, and the countries and cultures out there are putting more and more money into it, and we have seen the success and the popularity of the Women's World Cup and what it is and what it can be and what I think it's going to be going forward. There may be a time where they start looking at the Olympics and see it as a competitive type of event, and maybe in certain ways 
taking away from their prize possession, which would be the Women's World Cup. I don't think that they see that yet, and the numbers don't necessarily uh, uh, bear that out. But that's one of the reasons. But it would not surprise me in the least as women's soccer continues to grow if at some point they start to implement an age limit when it comes to it and becomes more of like a a men's Olympic team, a more of a youth type of tournament uh, that is used used going forward. I just don't think that they they worry now that it is biting into that, that cow, that cash cow that they have that is the men's World Cup. Moss? We'll end with a fun one. Okay. Morgan Rowe, favorite quote, most Italian thing you did while you were out there? So uh, many, many years ago when I was playing over in Italy, you you know, you go to Italy, whether you're playing or not, you go there and what are the first things you think of uh, when it comes to Italy? Well, it's the food, right? And, uh, you know, I found lots of good food. What I found was the average food over there is really, really good, okay? Um, and yes, the, the really good Italian food is good, but you can find really, really good Italian food and really, really good f- food at a lot of places. But you know that spectrum and the disparity between really, really good and really, really bad is much less over there. So I would go just to a local store uh, or a local restaurant and uh, that wasn't necessarily expensive, wasn't necessarily popular, and the plates that I would get would be very, very good. And part of it, and we've had this conversation before, Mossy, is that I was eating it in Italy. Okay, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get into all of that. Um, I immediately gravitated to some things that I never even liked: spinach, which I never liked. And there's a lot of people out there that don't like spinach, but for some reason, the way that it was being prepared, um, it appealed to me. Uh, that was one of the things. Now, that's, that's not necessarily an Italian type of thing. The pastas that I ate were, were very plain. Um, they weren't extravagant, and they were very, very good. Uh, um, I remember when we went to Naples to play against Napoli. Uh, I remember players taking me out to find the Buffalo mozzarella because of how great it was down there. And it was. It was, it was wonderful. Maybe it was because I was in Napoli. Uh, Lemoncello, uh, after the uh, a, a lemon cold, frosty type of, it's almost a Slurpee-esque type of liqueur post-meal type of thing. I would definitely uh, have some of that. Grappa, which is also a very strong after-dinner type of uh, liqueur. I would have plenty of that. And And there's all different, as there are dialects, there are all different versions of grappa depending on where you go. So those are definitely some of the things uh, that I enjoyed when it came to the uh, the experience of of being in Italy. A lot of it has to do with food in terms of typical Italian things uh, that I that I did. And some of them are stereotypical, but some of them are very typical. And I, I partook in as many as I possibly could and enjoyed every single one. <laughs> Masi, anything, uh, anything come to mind when it comes to the, the typical Italian type of experience that, uh, you would, you would think of? Uh, no, you know, it's funny. Uh, I've mentioned before that I'm watching this Stanley Tucci show, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm actually behind one episode. I haven't uh, recorded. I, I, I gotta watch it, but, um, he, I studied abroad in Florence and I loved the food with the exception of the bread. I found it so stale, uh, the bread in Florence. 
And that always stuck with me. In fact, my parents then vacation there years later, and they had the same reaction. We kind of wonder why, when everything else is so good, is the bread so bad? And in the episode Stanley Tucci did about Tuscany, he explained that. It was so interesting. He said uh, they used to get their salt from Pisa, and then they had a, a big dispute with Pisa, and so they stopped getting their salt, and it became a source of pride. And so that's just the way the bread is made now. It's like just stale, but everybody's used to it. And so that's how they, uh, well, listen, if you if you go to Italy and the worst part of the meal is the bread. Uh, uh, then you're going to be okay. You're going to be just fine. You and you and you uh, you made it through. So yeah, I, I haven't I haven't watched that, but I know you had mentioned that. It'll be you know it would be interesting to check uh, check that out. It was it, it was all very very good. And as I said, you could just go to any normal place, um, not very popular and, and certainly not expensive, and recognize that your base level was um, was very very good, good quality and. Uh, for uh, for an affordable price. Anything else, Mossy, in the Ask Alexi segment? That's it. All right. Uh, do use that hashtag Ask Alexi out there or Ask Mossy for that matter and uh, or any of us and uh, send them through on all the different platforms that we have out there. We're going to take another quick break and when we come back, we're going to wrap up the show with our one for the road. Okay, welcome back. Uh, it is the end of the show, and at the end of each and every show, uh, we give you our one for the road. Um, some uh, some news came out actually this morning about a good friend uh, in the soccer world, Ivis Golarsep. Uh, you may have uh, read him uh, if you have involved in soccer for any length of time. Uh, you will you will know him, and you will love him because uh, he is incredibly interesting in the way that he talks about soccer. He works incredibly hard and has for a number of decades been a go-to type of voice when it comes to that. Uh, he is battling COVID uh, and he announced uh, this morning that he is in the hospital. So uh, all of those uh, thoughts and prayers that we have from the soccer community and beyond going out to Ivis Galarsip and I uh, hope, uh, hope he hears this and I hope he uh, gets out of the hospital and recovers from this and continues to do the great work that he does when it comes uh, to the soccer world out there. And it, and it got me thinking about uh, people that have been around soccer for a long time. I was doing a, uh, um, uh, a, a clubhouse chat the other day, and uh, a young, young man, 20 years old, who's in college, w- w- got on and talked about how he was in college studying broadcast media in college, and that's what he was majoring on, and that's what he wanted to do. But it was all being done relative to the sport of soccer. And for a long time, the sport of soccer, when it comes to broadcast media uh, and, and, and journalism out there, was uh, either something that was ignored or it was a stepping stone to the quote-unquote big sports. And we're seeing a whole generation that has grown up you know, watching the likes of uh, Ivis Galarsep or uh, you know, a Grant Wall or a Joe Titino out here in, uh, in Los Angeles. And, and the list goes on and on and on. And, uh, you know, even younger voices that have come about now, like a, uh, a John Strong, who we work with. And, and, and once again, I'm, if I'm missing, oh, I know I'm missing people, but that's just to say that there are now people out there that this younger generation has looked up to and emulated. And they aren't looking at soccer as a stepping stone. They are looking at as it as a destination. And that is a change. That is a big change from when I was growing up. And as I want to say, it warms the cockles of my redheaded heart uh, because of the fact that we have this generation now that has it in their sights to be involved in media 
and to be involved in broadcasting and be involved in journalism relative to the sport of soccer. And I hope we keep growing, and I hope there are more and more opportunities for them. And, you know, you talk to John Strong, and he says, I'm living my dream. This is what I have wanted to do from a young age. And he's one of the very few in the world that actually get to do what they have dreamed about doing from a young age. And there are more and more men and women now that are growing up in an age where they can dream about being involved with soccer and not necessarily kicking the soccer ball, but actually being involved in soccer and the industry that is journalism and broadcast and media and out there. And there are more and more opportunities. And as the sport continues to grow, there will be more and more opportunities. So I just wanted to use that uh, and to throw back to uh, to Ivis Galarsep, who is one of those originals, and and there's certainly that that came before, but he came of a he came of a time and saw the world expand, saw the soccer world grow, and um, you know he he has been and continues to be one of those voices out there uh, that people can and should look up to, and should learn from, and. We, uh, and, and he certainly, uh, have faced incredible challenges over the years, and yet their commitment to the sport is incredibly admirable. And I want to recognize him and so many others that have you know, paved the way for what has come later, and the fact that there is this 20-year-old kid in college right now that is looking to make it in the soccer world. And uh, without people like Ivis Galarsip, that, uh, that doesn't happen, or it certainly doesn't happen as fast. So get well soon, uh, uh, soon Ivis. We are all thinking about you. Mossy, anything before we go? No, I just I send my well wishes as well to Ivis for sure. All right. Uh, we will be back again next week. Uh, apologies for the 24-hour delay, but uh, as Mossy uh, and, uh, mentioned uh, right off the top, we continue to broadcast this incredible Olympic tournament, and uh, Mossy... Uh, being the savant that he is and the incredible contributor that he is, is getting pulled in all different directions because he is so valuable. And so uh, we couldn't get the uh, the pod recorded on a Monday, so we're recording this on a Tuesday, and it should be out there on the Wednesday. And as I mentioned before, U.S.-Mexico. doesn't matter where, when, or how. It's U.S.-Mexico. You just say it, and you know exactly what we're talking about. Always fun to see the United States... Uh, take on Mexico here in uh, under 23, sorry, under 24 form right now uh, to possibly win the group. So we'll see how that happens. And then, of course, on the weekend, the big game, the semifinal game for a chance to go to the Olympics for the first time since 2008 for the uh, uh, under 23 team uh, on the men's side. Olymp- uh, women's side, they've already qualified. But this Sunday, oh, yeah, we'll find out who they're facing and we'll find out if they can finally get over this hump and win that game and book their slot this summer in the Olympics in Tokyo. All right, we will see you again next week. And until then, as always, size the day. (laughs) 